0: Welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. It's been a while since I've done this, so I can't really remember what I'm supposed to say in the introduction. I'm Matt Wynn. I'm one of the founders of the Cucumber Company and uh, one of the early members of the Cucumber Open Source. And I'm here with Liz Keogh, Sally-Anne Freudenberg, Artie Matanda, and Melissa Perry. And we're here to talk about uh, the topic of sexual harassment. I think specifically within the context of the software industry, because that's where we're all from, Um, but maybe a bit more broadly than that. I asked uh, these four friends of ours, Friends of Cucumber, onto the podcast um, to talk about this subject because uh, it's been a lot in the news recently, and um, I think that it's important to hear the voices of women who've... um, either been through these things or uh, just hear, hear the experiences of women. I think that um, there's a lot of talk from men uh, on this podcast and it's probably a bit about time to sort of turn the microphone around. So hopefully um, you'll hear as little as possible of my voice and as much as possible of their voice and their perspective on this topic I wonder if we should get a little introduction so everybody knows who each of you are. Would that be all right? Artie's shaking her head at me. <laughs> Just say your name and like what your favorite film is or something
1: Hi, I'm Artie. My favorite movie right now is Serenity.
2: Hi, I'm Liz um my favorite film is Watership Down which is a film all about rabbits and it's a cartoon and you definitely should not show it to your kids or they'll all become gods
3: uh
4: shall I go next because mine's the least Watershipy Down favorite movie (laughs) I probably I'm Sal Freudenberg uh my favorite movie is Itchy the Killer
3: um (laughs) hi I'm I'm Melissa I'm a product management consultant and my favorite movie is completely not in the realm. It's The Godfather.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks everyone. So everybody knows who's who. Um so actually I think it, Melissa it was probably your post was it on Twitter um a couple of months ago and uh Chris is one about Leonard Scotland um, that, that prompted me to to sort of start thinking, right, okay, we should do something about this and and have, have uh, this topic covered on the podcast. Um, but, yeah, where's a good place to start? Um, we could talk about this, uh, this event that was in the news recently, I guess fairly recently, where they were like uh, – female dancers as the entertainment, not wearing very much. I mean, have any of you been at a, like a tech event where, where that's happened? And what's, what, what does it feel like as a woman to be in the in the room when that's going on? On stage or anywhere else?
1: I don't know whether to mention this because it feels like I'm throwing my sub community under the bus. So I went to this um, uh, tech conference recently called Lesbians Who Tech. And, you know, I thought, okay, this is great, it's going to be all women and, you know, they'll they'll know better than to do what people do at, not all people, but a lot of people do at uh, other conferences. But on the, um, the first day, the intro day, the warm-up or whatever it's called, they had um, a drag show kind of thing and I was like... If we can't expect better from our own community, from, you know, women who know, well, should know better, then what hope do we have? But and for the longest, like, while I was there, I didn't know whether this was appropriate. Like, I was, I'm not comfortable, but a lot of people seem to be comfortable with this. And But then the more I talked about it to other people, they were really uncomfortable as well. There is a time and a place for those shows, and I don't think tech conferences are... That time or place, Um, so yeah. Sorry, queer community. I mean, I throw you under the bus, but wasn't happy about what happened there. But yeah.
4: Uh, Yeah. So uh, this is Sal. I went to a conference, um, actually an XP related conference, uh, but really quite some time ago. And one of the dinner presentations was by an organisation, um, and they did they did a presentation that was about the XP values. But value, courage was was drinking beer, and then I can't remember exactly. But all the other ones were like very curvaceous, scantily clad women that the team wanted to approach, and that was the theme of the whole thing. And I just remember. Firstly, being sort of a bit in disbelief that that could even still be a thing that anybody would do. Um, Secondly, feeling like I really didn't belong in the room. Um, And then the nice bit was, thirdly, there became this little gaggle of women who sort of, supported each other through it and you know some people were saying "Oh, well, actually I really wouldn't feel comfortable working with them in future or you know we were kind of should we leave should we stay so it was quite nice in in that was kind of a nice side effect of it was that it did bring women together to to, to kind of voice their concerns which made me feel a little bit less alone in my in my not belonging I guess
0: so sort of strength and adversity thing
4: yeah yeah but I'd still would rather that it just hadn't
0: happened at all, for sure. It's interesting that you talk about the, the like, the, just even the drinking beer thing, that probably that whole uh, presentation had just been put together by a group that just either just was only made up of men or um, the voices of the women in that group were so quiet and poorly listened to that they didn't... Uh, they didn't get their input into that, into that presentation. Um, and that kind of thing, I guess ties into this topic of like, um, what people call microaggressions, right? Where you might be, um, in lots of little ways degraded or disrespected or disregarded or dismissed, um, I think this is quite an interesting topic because I think it's something that, that either some people may just not see them at all, um, not notice them, or maybe think they're not that important, like people should just be a bit thicker skinned. I mean, what's your what's what's all of your take on that? Do you think do you think that's right? Should people be just be thicker skinned? And maybe maybe we should start with some examples of what we mean by microaggression. Like what are some times when you think that think that kind of things happened to you or you've you've witnessed it?
2: I'm honestly not worried about the microaggressions. It's the big ones. Right? I mean, we, we get the microaggressions all the time, but just, you know, randomly getting my ass grabbed at the bar, at a conference bar, at a conference party, when we've been having a fantastic conversation about large scale transformation in banks. And suddenly this guy, instead of having these conversations, has his hand on my ass. And I, for goodness sakes, his wife was standing right next to him. I'm like, well, what are you thinking? You know, just um, And that time, you know, um, it was in Agile Scotland and they're, they're very good at enforcing their code of conduct. And I knew the organizers had my back, so I was able to just turn around and snap at him immediately. And he did apologize. And he apologized more soberly again the next day. Um, so I'm not interested in outing him or anything. But just it, that's not micro. That's not a microaggression like that. I, I worry about the microaggressions if we were rid of the big ones.
3: Yeah. When I, um, I, I didn't, luckily mine didn't escalate physically like yours did Liz. Um, but I was invited when I was just starting out to go speak at a conference um, by a pretty well-known organizer and big part of the combat community. And I was told before I went by, this was like my tweet storm, I guess I prompted you, Matt. Um, But I was told by two friends who I trusted that this guy was like a known lech who was organizing the conference. But they also said, you know, you have to go because it's very good for your personal development. Like if you want to, I had just started speaking. I'd only spoken at like two conferences, Lean Agile Scotland and Lean UX NYC. So this was like my third one. It was a really big deal. And they were like, wow, like you got invited like already. That's really awesome. Like people don't get invited to this. You really need to go, but just watch out for the conference organizer because he's known to sexually harass women. I'm like, okay, so like, what do I do if that happens? And one of them was said, you know, don't worry. I'll be there. If you don't feel comfortable, come and talk to me. Um, so I got there and the guy never like touched me, but it was, I got messages every single night on Twitter asking me to come to his room to come up and eat dinner with him in his room. Um, And
0: these are private messages, Melissa, this isn't in front of anybody else.
3: else. And I'm now blocked on his Twitter. So I can't show you the messages because they all got erased as soon as he blocked me. But, um, they, there were private messages. that would be like, come have dinner in my room, come have like a bottle of wine in my room at like 10 o'clock. And I'd be like, no, no, I'm going out. And I was also told not to piss him off very blatantly by my friends. They said, do not get on his bad side. He will ruin your reputation. He will ruin your entire career. So here I am like just starting out very nervous about overstepping my bounds about him with him. I worried about speaking up about it and trying to be like, ah, thank you. Like, but no, I'm out. Like I'm with some other people. And I just felt like the whole time I just felt like I was dodging him. And I just like saw people, other conference, like other conference speakers going out to dinner and I'd like run up to him and be like, can I join you? Can I join you? Like, I don't feel safe here by myself. And they were like, yeah, come on. Um, and you know, I never quite, I, I showed like a couple of people were going on and they were like, that's screwed up. Um, but you know, nobody did anything. And then I realized after the conference talking to so many more people that this was a routine behavior of his that, that crossed into, um, physical assault as well. Whereas mine was just like him trying to get me up to his room all the time. Um, compliment He would be talking about my appearance all the time. It was like very inappropriate and I didn't know what to do because when the conference organizer is the one doing that too, like, who do you go to? Who's there to enforce it? Um, and there was no code of conduct. Um, and when I did complain, the other conference organizers were like, "That doesn't happen. That's just him. You know, this is this is just boys being boys. That's just what he does." But I think it it, it
1: speaks um, it speaks volumes that uh, Melissa, you said a few times that now that he he didn't touch me, so it's you know it, like like almost like oh, it wasn't that much to put up with, but it, that, that's horrible that you had to put up with that. And the fact that we as women, you know, have these degrees of, oh, he was just, just verbal harassment or just kind of stalkish, stalkerish behavior. Yeah,
3: yes. it, it's, yeah. It, it is true. Like I hear sometimes people debate, for me, like it was personally traumatizing. Um, so even though it was just verbal, yeah. but we do do this, right? We go, well, thank God it didn't go physical, right? Like, thank yeah. God, like... Yeah. He didn't assault my body, but at the same time, it's, it's such a mental toll where I'm just there to try to do my best in my presentation and to like meet people and, and network and, and grow with them and learn from them. And here I am like dodging the most powerful person in the room. Basically, I felt like I was, it was like a cat and mouse thing where I was just running around the hotel, trying to get away from him and everywhere I went, he would show up. I'd be eating lunch. He'd sit down next to me. I'd be, I was sitting in a keynote and And he came and he sat on the table in front of me, like that I was sitting at, sat on the table there, like cornering me and told me to read some of the stuff he wrote in his book because he invented UX before, (laughs) before UX was invented. He literally said that. Um, So, so I'm just like, how do I, you know, how do you get away? Like, how do you feel comfortable? And as much as you you say, no, he just kept coming back. Like, like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to watch the keynote. Oh, it's my conference. Don't worry. He'll go up there. Like you, you you won't care. Like, you know, it's not, and it's not respectful to other people and it's not respectful to me. And it's just, um, there was no getting out of it. Like there was no way I could feel comfortable being incredibly firm. And also I'm like worried what people told me, like, don't piss him off. He'll ruin your career. He's a very vindictive person. You know, that's, that's waiting on you as well.
4: And I think what's telling for me about this, Melissa, as well, is I'm I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about. I'm pretty sure a lot of other people in the industry know who you're talking about. I've had a bad experience with that person as well, as have many, many other people that I speak to. And yet we all whisper about these, you know, and I've... been hearing that phrase of like a whisper network where people can kind of say oh you know be a bit careful about that person or don't spend time with that person or or that person's a known lecture whatever it is um and yet for some reason it's not okay to say that out loud that we have to whisper to each other which is which Mm -hmm. is just awful and I had a, a, a similar experience where um possibly with the same person where I was they would kind of cornered me during dinner and I was sitting down and 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 nobody, hel- nobody <coughs> helped nobody <laughs> helped that was the thing for me I was like I feel trapped and nobody's helping and in fact I ended up I ended up saying, uh, you do know I'm a kickboxer, like pretty blatantly at one point because he kind of brushed against me and made a joke about nearly touching my breasts. And I was like, you do know I'm a kickboxer, right? And then he just disappeared. So it worked okay. But that's not a very – it's not. It's not an approach I would like to have to take ever
1: with anybody. And, and it's not an option many of us have either. No, N- not everyone's a kickboxer.
0: And you have a rare set of skills that gave you the ability and the confidence to say that in that situation as well. So, like, which is, you know, lucky for you, but other people might not have not have been so confident.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes you really reconsider which events you go to as well, where I I would never go back to one of the events hosted by them, Although everybody has told me like one of the other ones, they they run in Europe. I, I wanted to go so bad, but knowing that he'd be there, I, you know, I didn't even apply. I didn't even think about it. People asked me to come. I was like, no, I don't want to put myself in that situation again. So it also by like removing yourself from that, which feels like the safest option and is the safest option, right? You remove yourself from opportunities to, to go out and speak. So it sets you back.
4: Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 similarly, I've said no to events for similar reasons. I've also started saying no to events now that if they don't have a code of conduct.
0: Mm-hmm. Do uh, do those events that you're talking about have a code of conduct, Melissa? Nowadays?
3: Um, I think they they did implement one last year. I think they did. Um, I saw that come up. I still don't trust it knowing who's going to enforce it. (laughs) So I I wouldn't go either way because I mean, even without a code of conduct, right? If somebody comes to you with a problem and you're organizing a conference, you should feel like stepping in and, you know, it's just, it's just, um, it's just words otherwise. And knowing, you know, they put that up there to make people feel better, but they didn't talk about how they would change it. And I wouldn't trust them to change it.
0: Yeah. A code of conduct is no use unless it gets enforced.
3: I think coming back to
1: Matt's original um, question about microaggressions, I agree with you, Liz, like, you know, we definitely have to fix the um, the, the bigger aggressions. I think microaggressions kind of give people the um, permission to escalate the aggression to bigger levels. Um, And I, I, I don't think it's a question of, you know, get a thicker skin and... Yeah, I, th- I think it sets the tone and it sets the culture of where you are and the, the space you're in, if it's okay to make jokes about, I don't know, women's appearance or, um, you know, the hotness ranking of women or, or or anyone else in the room. And some people, you know, you, you might make those jokes with people you're close to um, because you know it's a joke and, you know, it's funny because you know it's ridiculous and you don't actually think like that. But when you're in a public space, not everyone knows that you actually don't believe in those things or are strictly against those things and it's, it's only a joke because it's so ridiculous and might take that as permission to do or behave in ways that go beyond, the, you know, get a thick skin and um, learn to take a joke kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Artie. I agree with you completely. Um, the one joke that I mentioned on my Me Too blog the guy who, you know, uh, I don't want to hear my name and Ro Hipnall in the same sentence ever. There is no circumstance in which that is funny. Just none. Right. And I told him it wasn't funny and he doubled down on it. And now I go around and I make sure that there is a code of conduct any place I'm likely to meet him. You know, he actually uh, didn't turn up to the last conference uh, where he was meant to be speaking. And I was like, oh, brilliant. You know, so I just go out and have a good time. Yeah,
4: I think the other thing that I wanted to add about microaggressions is is some of them might seem so tiny that they're almost, you know, almost not hurtful or almost not making you feel like you don't belong. But that's, you've got to put that in a backdrop of microaggression or microaggression or microaggression or microaggression or microaggression. Or microaggression. And, you know, and, and, and I don't think you can treat them as separate things. They're part of a whole culture of that being okay that that just makes us feel invisible or 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 belittled or like we don't belong or that that you know um and this is in an industry that's that's you know crying out for more for, for for more women in 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 tech you know there are plenty of wonderful people trying to make that happen and yet these kind of like death from a thousand cuts that you get from microaggressions is is what i think although i completely agree with liz you know the big stuff is 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 terrible awful we shouldn't be seeing at all but these microaggressions you know they do build up um, and and they create they create in themselves a, a culture that that's pretty toxic I think yeah
3: I had and it's 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 funny though because the reaction when you talk about microaggressions to to the world was like oh it's not that bad right and it's it's exactly what you you said Sal it's it's the the compounding effect of all the microaggressions that really get there. Um, I had one, and it's it's interesting to see how people respond to this. Like a little microaggression, not a little one, but a microaggression that happened to me last year as I was keynoting a talk, um, and I had a, a man introduce me um, who didn't I didn't know him, uh, but he was like the head of one of the companies that was sponsoring it. Uh, so he's reading my bio, introducing me for my keynote in front of two thousand people. Um, he's going through it and he's like, so Melissa has, is the CEO of products labs. She's worked with these companies. Like he, he's listening them off and it seems like she's writing a book and, you know, he's going through this all like kind of just, just like disengaged really when he's doing it. So I'm like, Oh, this is, this is already off to a fun start. And at the end he goes, looks like she's done a lot of stuff, but she doesn't really look that old. So um, here she is. <laughs> and I was just like, great. Uh, And I, I'm kind of just like dumbfounded and I get on the stage and I, you know, and now I'm trying to like kick off a keynote and be all peppy. Um, and it's one of those things where you don't kind of process it right away. Um, but it just kind of knocks you down a little bit. And, um, for me too, I do know I'm young and I do get like some really weird remarks from people who are, who go like, well, you don't look like you're in tech or like, you don't, um, you know, you're, too young to be accomplished and all this stuff. And, and it's just like these little pieces that pick it down. And I've seen men my age, um, you know, make the cover of Forbes and I've seen, um, you know, other men be like lauded in the same type of conferences where they never get the same kind of comments that the younger women I think do. Right. And, uh, and it was one of those things too where I, I kind of forgot about it and got off because it just kind of, you know, goes into the background. Like you, you get jarred by it and then you just forget about it. And then I was having dinner two nights later and some, with some of those other speakers from the conference and somebody was an attendee. And they said, how did you feel about your keynote? And I was like, well, I felt like it was pretty good. And they're like, what about that introduction? And it was a woman. And I said, yeah, now that you remind me about it, that was really screwed up. I just got like caught up in the world of the conference. And she was like, yeah. I felt really uncomfortable. Like she was like, I did not like the way that he introduced you. And I saw him introduce a couple more women across the conference and he did the same thing to them. And I never saw him introduce a man that way. Um, And it is one of those things I I tweeted about it and I got a lot of different reactions. Um, And there was a lot of people who said, well, he probably just didn't know what he was doing. And I hear that a lot with microaggressions. Like he probably just didn't realize he was hurting you. And, to me too. Like, sure. Yeah. Because it's what Sal says, like it's ingrained in the culture. A lot of people just don't think, right. And it comes out of their mouth and because it's ingrained in the culture though, that's, that's the way they think though. That is the way they think. And I don't think it's not acceptable. Like, I I think it's acceptable to call that out and reeducate people and, you know, make them think about it say like, Hey, you know, this isn't really okay. This didn't do that. But I got so much backlash from people who were like, Well, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. Right. Like, or it's not that big of a deal. And to me, like getting up there, it was a big deal. Right. Like it made me feel like I couldn't perform at my best or like, I always feel like I have something to prove after that. Right. Which takes like a lot of mental energy where I'm like, I'm going to get up here and do the best damn keynote, but I'm already like slightly off jar when I get up there. And then it had the, it, I had a different reaction, too, where some people took it to an extreme. They were like, well, you should have just got off the stage and not keynoted then. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. It's my keynote spot. Like, I want to tell people what I know. That's why I'm here. Like, I'm not going to throw a fit, but I am going to tell people about it later and tell that, approach that person and say, like, hey, next time you introduce somebody, can you please not do that?
0: Yeah. it's interesting. It seems like we're maybe like there there are labels that, I don't know whether there's there's a there's a gradient here, but there are labels like you could talk about sexism, which is what you're talking about there, really, Melissa. Like that was probably probably sexist behavior from that guy. Um whereas harassment is kind of like it is it has another name. Like it is a it is a kind of more um it's a, I think I think all of us know there's a difference right when we're experiencing something that was probably um, unintentional but hurtful versus something that you suspect probably is intentional like it's it's thought it's been thought about even even if it was by a drunk like they've decided to sort of violate what is what is probably a, a social norm about you know touching someone else's body or contacting them in private. There's a there's a difference, isn't there, there? Um one of the things I'm wondering about as a I mean I I like I had no idea how much of this went on, as I'm sure, you know, many other men didn't. Um
1: You're lucky, Matt.
0: What what I'd like to know about is what
3: yeah, well
0: what what uh should I have been doing? What do you wish I'd have been doing? What could I start doing now? What can kind other of people who care about this do now. Like, you know, I, I like, um, you, it was, you were talking about, Sal, about like befriending the person who you can see is getting, getting approached by somebody. I remember, um, I think Anna Shipman shared this thing on Twitter once about like, if you see somebody, um, she, she, it was a story about seeing somebody um, who was uh, like a Muslim woman on a, on a tube train being harassed by, a, by like an angry white guy. And um, what she did was she just went over and instantly tried to make friends with this person and like asked her about herself and where she was from and what she was doing and engaged her in conversation so there wasn't any space for this horrible man, right? Um, and I thought it was a brilliant story and it kind of reminded me about what you were just saying there, Sal. But I, I guess that's just like one idea, but I'd really like to know what else can we do? I think boycotting... Um, People who, who are being whispered about is you know one thing that we can do as long as we we get to be in on the whispers. But what else what else can we do practically? What can people like me do who are in a privileged position of not being on the receiving end of this sort of stuff?
2: Be an exemplar of good behaviour. That's one thing. Um, and if you see that not good behaviour happening, say, um, "Hey, I don't think that's okay," or just go go ask the lady. You know. Are you all right? How are you doing? I'm Matt. Please meet you.
0: Yeah, so speaking of.
2: That's it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to say, really. That's the biggest thing is that, you know, you can get, I've, I, I've had people talk about my body in front of a group of people, at a works thing. I've had people, you know, and, and nobody, nobody stood up and said, actually, mate, that's not all right. And it had to be me who was the one who was feeling terrible and, you know, out of place and embarrassed and horrified by everything that's going on. It had to be me that was the one to say, that's not okay.
1: And that's a real shame, I think. Yeah, often the onus of protecting, uh, quote unquote, um, women falls on other women or ourselves. And then we get labeled shrill or, you know, thin-skinned and that kind of stuff so it helps if um, male allies or more powerful allies speak up for us or with us
3: and like just grabbing somebody too and pulling them aside and being like hey your behavior is not okay too like speaking up at the time but also if you just see somebody who's routinely like bothering a woman or you know committing microaggressions or something just like a man grabbing them is a very different thing I think than a woman coming up and being like you're doing this to me where people get defensive. And I think like somebody just being like, Hey, come over here. Let's have a chat from a man's perspective might be a lot better. Hmm.
4: I have done that before though. Like the next day gone to the person and said, do you know, you know, that thing that you did, I just want to explain to you how that felt and what effect it had on me because i I think maybe you don't realize and I know that I'm saying that from a complete place of privilege that I was able to do that that I you know was uh not unfrightened enough and unworried enough about my career or whatever to do it but it was almost like compulsively I felt like I had to I wouldn't get any closure unless I did so I kind of felt compelled to do that um and I've done that twice and both times the person that I spoke to was like Oh, my gosh! I'm so sorry. I had no idea that that you know that that you would feel like that. And I don't the slightly sad thing is certainly for at least one of those people, I'm not sure that their behavior's changed as a result <laughs> of that conversation, which I wish that it had. Um, but it's really, really hard. It's really hard to do that really hard. So any I think, Matt, in your question about what can you do, help that conversation to take place so that people know, the effect that their words and actions are having on people, um, you know, and, and repeat that message so they can see, like, actually it's not just Sal or Melissa or, 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 or anybody who's, like, super oversensitive, and, but rather it's your behavior, you know, that, that is consistently making women feel isolated, belittled, um, um, and, and attacked.
2: I think um, not necessarily for Matt, but for anybody else who's out there, any other men who are out there who, who might be feeling a little bit nervous right now, um, apologize, right? Apologies go a long way and resist the urge to double down. If you get called out because your behavior is wrong, have a think about whether your behavior was wrong. And if it was, apologize for it. Um, it means the world to me when somebody has done something wrong and recognized it and gives me a genuine heartfelt apology. Especially if they're prepared to do it again the next day when they're sober, you know, that's nice.
4: Yeah. That is an interesting thing you bring up though as well, the whole alcohol thing, because I've had that as well. Uh, One of the people who I approached afterwards, they were like, oh, I was drunk. And so I just said, uh, uh, Liz is showing us all her alcohol-free beer right now. Um, but I have to say, I don't care. I don't care if you were drunk. That is not okay. And being drunk isn't an excuse. It's that, like, if you know that you behave in that way when you're drunk, then it's your responsibility to not drink or not drink so much that you can't behave appropriately or not go to that kind of event if you can't go to them and not drink and, not beha- and therefore not behave appropriately. It's not – It's not for me to say, oh, you're right, you were drinking, it doesn't matter then, because it it doesn't make it okay.
3: At one Agile conference, um, there was one of the big Agile conferences, there was a whole team of people from SAFE walking around with a shirt that said, What's your safe word? What? That was their official T shirt. And I came out of a party one night, I was pretty drunk. Um, so was everybody around me, but they were kind of like swarming me. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And my friend Paul just kind of like grabbed me. and was like, let's go put you in your room. And I was like, yes, please. Um, but it is one of those things where I, I feel like people almost associate sometimes conferences as parties, right? And we do have parties and I love to go to them. Everybody knows I'm always the one to find the best party at the agile conference but it's what I love to do but it doesn't give anybody excuse to like act inappropriately and it's not it's not like you know like that that's that's not okay in that environment like we can all have fun and be respectful at the same time and if you get drunk that's cool just don't harass anybody <laughs>
0: But it, it also wouldn't be okay at a, at a party at my house with friends, right? Like, you don't behave like that. Yeah, you and get, we you used to, to I
3: remember, like, in college, too, like, it, it was the same thing at, like, fraternity parties, right? You would go and grab the girl because you're like, those frat guys are hitting on her. Like, she doesn't look stable enough to be here and make judgments. I will take you home. Um, I, when you When you feel like you have to do that at a conference, like, That's wrong. (laughs) I'm sorry. Like you you should not have to feel like uncomfortable at a conference because you drank slightly too much. I would advise not drinking too much. Um, but at the same time, it's like you shouldn't feel unsafe if that happens, right? Like you shouldn't feel like that at a professional workplace. And yet that happens a lot. (laughs) And I'm also like, who designed those t-shirts? And thought that was a good idea? And they came back the same next year with the same t-shirts. And there is a code of conduct for that conference.
2: We're all stunned into silence now.
0: Well, it's interesting.
2: I'm just thinking about the way people react to
0: it because I remember there was a conference not all that long ago, an Agile conference, and um, somebody noticed that all of the speakers were white men and said something about it in public. And they just exploded into this defensive um. Um, position on it and I guess it's the same thing it's dismissing the feedback basically it's the same thing as you know people talking about how that guy that introduced you the keynote Melissa probably didn't you know probably didn't really think about it it's the same sort of thing it's just dismissing the feedback and not learning from it
1: it's, it's willful ignorance I think I mean how can you be in this industry and not be aware of how many women are speaking up and saying, look, we're uncomfortable by these behaviours and and then say, oh, so I, I didn't know, or, you know, or at least if you're saying, I, I didn't know, say, I didn't know, but I will do better next time. Rather, so why are you so upset about this?
2: Um, the first time I posted about the stuff that's on my Me Too blog, it was actually in a, a private mailing list. And it was because there were a bunch of guys all worrying about, how do I avoid offending a woman? How do I avoid, you know, if I do offend them, what do I do? I'm so scared. And it was just like, are you kidding me? Are you actually kidding? No, you, you do not have that much to be scared of. Try being a woman, you know? And I just listed all the stuff that had happened.
4: But I've had that. I've had that before as well, where I've said to somebody, you know, like uh, your behavior doesn't, doesn't really make me feel very safe, and they've said, "Well, I need to feel safe to express myself as well." And you're now you're
3: making me feel unsafe, and it's like, what? Hang on. I, I feel like too. I've gotten. I I am also very willing to to explain to to friends like what, what you know why something might not be okay, right? If they ask me, I think there's an onus too. I've gotten a lot of questions lately from from some, uh, from a person I consider a friend. Um, but it's almost like anytime something comes up in the news about harassment, he's like, Oh, explain to me why this is bad. And I'm like, why do I have to be the one to explain this every single time? Right. And it's like, you know, there's, there's like an onus of responsibility for me to like explain this to him. And I'm, I'm like, I'm exhausted. Can you ask somebody else? Or can you, like, I, there's a really easy way to avoid, be you know to avoid offending people and it's basically just be a respectful human being <laughs> like just be a respectful human being that's all you have to do nobody's going to get offended by that
1: yeah um i think i don't know if this is a popular term but uh, my uh, another friend of mine and i call it the woman tax you know it's that extra stuff you have to do to educate the people around you about what's right and what's wrong and you know it's on top of not having the privilege you also have to pay this extra tax of um bringing about awareness
3: yeah so there's there's a tax and I think um some people mentioned this that it's not now it's on women to kind of like defend themselves and you know speak up for themselves but also to educate people and that's that is pretty exhausting like I just want to do my job
0: sorry sorry for getting you on this podcast To talk about it.
3: See, this podcast is good because you're like, I'll kill all the birds with one stone. And then I don't have to explain this to every single individual. And next time somebody asks me, I'll just be like, listen to this podcast. That's it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good. So are there any other home truths that need saying before we run out of time? Are there any things I haven't asked you about that you need to rant about while we're on this subject?
2: Not rant, but I did see one of your questions on the question list, which um, I thought was probably worth talking about, which was, is it ever okay? Is it ever okay to actually make a move on somebody you're working with? Um, I'm actually with somebody that I was working with. So, uh, you know, we got together. Um, It's about options. Don't take people's options away from them, right? I, I have been propositioned at conferences in a way that made me feel I was being treated with respect. And it was done by making it completely okay for me to say no. Thanks, I'm not interested, right? And I don't mind that at all. I don't mind that at all. You know, it make it really, really apparent that it's okay for me to say no and there won't be any backlash. We're still going to be mates. We're still going to be friends. And then I'm okay with that. Um, if you can't do that, then do not do it. If you cannot be sure, do not go there. It's really that simple. And it's never the, – the problem is never when people get together. It's when one person wants to get together and the other one doesn't. And that needs, it needs to be okay for that to happen. Otherwise, just don't go there.
3: I like that. I've never heard it described as that, as the options. And I, I think that really makes sense. I like that a lot, Liz.
2: Yeah, I'm an options thinker. <laughs> I think it's in
0: Marshall Rose, Rosenberg, I got this from, that um, the difference between a, a genuine question and a demand is whether it's okay to say no.
2: The only other thing that I I did want to say is that um, I hear stories sometimes and some of those stories are about people I consider friends and if one of my friends is out there having exhibited this kind of behavior that we're talking about, this kind of unwanted behavior you need to stop doing it and take a look at yourself and apologize because that breaks my heart absolutely breaks my heart to hear some of these stories Um, you know, that is not okay and I don't care that I have been treated by respect with respect if you're not treating the other woman around me it makes my life harder too mm.
3: yeah yeah
4: that's a that's a that's a great point as well Liz I know that we're in in some ways we are fortunate because we're you know we're we're of a certain standing within the community um but absolutely, I, I, I would reiterate that too. If, like, I don't, I don't care if you're treating me with respect. If you're not treating people around me with respect, then it hurts me too. And it hurts women as a community. And it hurts the tech community. <coughs> And it hurts the culture and it just it's not an isolated event and i think that's what we're ch- that's what i think we're learning as women as well like these things that we've had in our you know that we've hidden away secretly in our hearts these these things that have happened like oh my like, oh my word then they're, they're not isolated events they're not isolated events actually when you when you hear everyone else sto- else's stories it's it is heartbreaking for them as well but you kind of just realize the enormity the absolute enormity of the problem. And that's been very shocking for me.
3: I think too, I, it's one of those things too, where I I think this has been going around people saying like, believe women. Um, I've just had so many men not believe my stories or trivialize them. Um, And I've trivialized some of the stuff that's happened to me myself. Uh, And there's things that you just let go of, but, but it's also When you trivialize something that's not, that that is kind of big, which I've tried to do, you carry that around with you for a while, right? Like, it grates on you. And then you second-guess yourself and start thinking, am I crazy? Like, maybe I'm just too touchy. Like, I've thought of that myself. I've been like, maybe I'm just too touchy. Um, Maybe I just have, like, higher standards for this. And, you know, that's not okay. And I just have to lower them. And you start second-guessing it as a woman because you're not hearing other people, like, say yeah that's not okay they're not standing up for you um so i would say please don't trivialize our experiences um because it's gaslighting yeah exactly it's it's it, it builds up like we keep saying like every every little cut builds up and to the point where you're just like i don't want to do this anymore and i personally love this industry and i i couldn't imagine working anywhere else and i'm like this is what i'm going to do with my life um and I think everybody else, else here, too, is hopefully like that. Like, I'm, I'm passionate about being in tech. I'm passionate about what I do. I just I don't want to leave it. And I don't plan on leaving it for this. But you never want to make that choice. Right. And I, I've known women who've left because of it. And they're just like, I can't I can't take it anymore. I love it. I just can't. I can't be here anymore.
4: So, uh, on a slightly more positive note, something that I have seen conferences doing that I really, really like, as well as having a code of conduct, as well as enforcing that code of conduct, is having named people who are trusted friends. Um, and I've seen that a couple of times now, named people with, with maybe lanyards or T-shirts or whatever, that, that we are the trusted friends for this conference. And we are absolutely, if you're feeling uncomfortable, we um, for whatever reason, and you just need to to speak to somebody and get some help like with the trusted friends and I really, really liked that. I thought that was a great initiative.
0: Mm.
3: yeah, there's been a, a bunch of conferences I felt like we, we we talk about the poor experiences, but there's been plenty of conferences I felt really safe at. That, that you feel like you have a community of trusted people there. Um, and I think everybody shows up to those conferences with the, you know, attitude of we're going to learn and we're going to have fun and you build a community out of that. And to me, like I, I go to a lot of conferences every a year because they've been some of the most positive experiences in my life. They've been places where I meet friends and see friends and, um, you know, get to share my knowledge, get to learn some stuff. Um, and I love them. Like it, it doesn't, I, I want to keep going to them. I want to keep doing that. Uh, and when you really do have organizers who commit to making the experience great, it really pays off. And those are the ones that you remember.
0: Name names, Melissa. What are some of the really good conferences you're talking about there?
3: Um, Lean Agile Scotland. <laughs> Lean Agile Scotland is one of my favorite. Like that That was the second conference I ever spoke at and ever since like then. Yeah. I just felt like these are my people, this is my tribe. Right. Um, and I never, you know, never felt wary there for yeah. a second. Um, luckily I know some people probably have different experiences, but
2: I'll echo that lean Natal Scotland. Yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. So like, I, I was lucky for that one. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think that the organizers there make a point to make sure that it goes off without a hitch, which is nice. Uh, and they take care of things. So that was a great one. ACE Poland. Um, that was phenomenal too. Really great uh, organizers. Uh, you know, Paul just really makes sure that everybody's comfortable. Um, and we have these experiences too, where, you know, he, he checks with you and he makes sure we all stayed like some of the the female speakers all stayed in like an Airbnb together and the male speakers do too, if you choose to, but he asks everybody, are you comfortable with this? This is a setup, you know, this is what it is. If not, I'll get you a hotel room, a private one next door. But like, if if you are, then you can all meet it. And we had a great experience and made some really good friends there that I continue to talk to, um, in the industry. Uh, but he like, he really cared about that. He was like, I, and then he would ask, you know, all about all about how to make the speaker experience better, how to make the community better, how to make people in the audience feel connected. Um, so I thought Paul did a really good job on Ace as well.
1: That's QCUP.
0: Yeah, there is QCUP. Well, we're learning all the time about that, about, about what we can do. Um, and that's, it's, it's really useful to pick up those tips and ideas. Right, well, just let me say thanks to all of you, Liz, Sal, Artie, Melissa, for um, a really... Heartwarming, heart-rending, interesting, fascinating conversation. Um, I've learned a lot. Hopefully the listeners have too. And, Melissa, you'll never have to speak about this again. You can just point people to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thanks,
3: Matt.
0: Yeah, so thanks, everyone. See you, uh, see you next time. Cheers,
3: Matt. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.